just want to say that it's very important that you understand the principle that things have to happen first in the spirit realm before they happen in the natural. I don't think that a lot of people really get that, and so please hear that again. Things have to happen first in the spiritual, then you will see it in the natural. That's like tonight. You know, as we prayed, I just felt a flow of intercession. But anyway, as we allowed the intercession to flow in worship time, there was, there was something that happened in that arena tonight that the outworking of that will come in the natural. You'll see that in the natural. But it was birthed tonight in prayer. You know, let me just throw out some examples. You know, people talk about the great revivals of times past, and they've been amazing. But what you got to understand, you know, when you, well, let's just say the Brownsville revival, because everybody's real familiar with that. But when you, when you look back at that revival, and you see those thousands of people run into the altar, and all that was going on, the glory of God was amazing. What you've got to understand is, is that all those souls were birthed in intercession and prayer two and a half years before revival broke out. Are you hearing me? Those souls were birthed in intercession then after they were birthed in intercession, then you see the result of that in the natural. I want to make sure you get that because that's a that's a mentality and an understanding that God the mentality and an understanding that God has got first, to get in all of us. You're going to see first. You're going to see. Then you will see the consequences of that in the natural. And let me tell you something too. There's a principle that I wanted to get. In this series, I'm not going to do a sermon on it, I don't think, but just talking about it briefly. But there's a principle in God's Word that you see over and over again that right before God does something significant and powerful, you always see the enemy trying to come in and attack, and attack before blessing. So a lot of times when you're going along and you're, you're believing God for something, you're praying, you're pressing in, and all of a sudden it seems like things are getting real intense spiritually, that's a sign usually that you're right on the brink of a breakthrough. And see, biblically speaking, the children of Israel, right before they entered the promised land or before they were about to, under Moses, not under Joshua, but right before they were about to with Moses, they had to face two kings that stood right there. One of them's name was Sion, the other one Og. How would you like to name Og? Okay. And there was these, they had two, they were two kings, okay, and they, they had their armies right there at the brink of the promised land. And uh, if I remember right, it's been several years since I studied all this out, but one of their, their names meant something like a tempest or like a tornado, like a tempest, like a stirring up of a storm. And the problem was, was that the children of Israel were right on the brink of entering the promised land and Satan stirred up a storm of spiritual warfare against them. And therefore, they gave in to that. They gave in to what was going on as far as the doubt, fear, and unbelief when they sent in the spies and all that nonsense. And the result was that they did not enter the promised land. Their children did 40 years later. So many times right before you're going to see the greatest breakthrough, here you are, you're, you're travailing, you're pressing in, you're praying, you're fasting. 
and you, you can feel the intensity, like something is birthing in the spiritual realm, literally. And the enemy starts to come in like a flood and release an attack. What you got to understand is, is don't allow yourself to get discouraged or knocked off course during the attack because the attack is a sign that you're right there at a breakthrough. The greater the attack, the greater the breakthrough. The greater the attack is a sign of the greater victory on the other side. Alright, so I'm going to get into this sermon tonight. I'm talking about building up your inner man. For those here last week, I'm not going to dwell too long on explaining body, soul, and spirit, but people do need to understand it. You're made in the image of God. Body, soul, and spirit. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. Your physical body, your anatomy, you know a lot about that. The five senses, you communicate in the world with your, your body, your five senses, your sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Your spirit man is your inner man. Your spirit man is a body, a spirit body, just like your physical body, but it's a spiritual body with eyes, ears, nose, mouth. So your spirit can see and hear and smell and taste and touch in the spirit realm. So you've got your physical body, then you've got your spirit body. And in between the two, you've got your soul. Your soul is your mind. It's your intellect. It's the part of you that when you sit down and read a book, your mind is reasoning and thinking about what you're reading. It's your understanding. It also, your soul has to do with your personality. It's unique. There's things about you and your personality that's not like anybody else. And also, your, your, um, your soul has to do with your emotions, your heart. The part of, your, uh, of you that has to do with feelings, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, things you go through in life, people literally go through things they get a broken heart and God has to heal them and that's the soul okay so you have your physical body the five senses that's where your sinful nature dwells then you've got your spirit body the senses in the spirit realm your you sight hearing smell taste and touch your spirit and that's where God dwells as a Christian somebody that's not a Christian it's not there they're spiritually dead but somebody that's a born-again Christian, that's the part of you that's born again. That's where God's DNA comes into you. <clears throat> so your physical body has the sinful nature. Your spirit body has the nature of God. In between is your soul. And that's the part of you that makes decisions, thinks about things, feels things emotionally speaking. And that's a lot of the battleground is in the soul. And Jesus taught us that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And he taught us to pray. Because your spirit man craves the things of God as a Christian, but your flesh does not. And so Jesus, whenever he was dealing with the disciples, he told them, he said, listen, you need to watch and pray. Because your spirit craves the things of God. Your spirit is willing to do right, but your flesh is weak. And he was encouraging them to get into prayer. So that's body, soul, and spirit. You've got to understand that last week we dealt with the soul, and we dealt with soul wounds, a broken heart, things like that. It's awesome, powerful service. The Spirit of God exploded at the end. 
And um, it was amazing what God did. So this week I'm going to focus more on your spirit man. Okay? What you got to understand about your body, soul, and spirit is that your body, the way that your body speaks, if you will, is feelings, the way you physically feel. So you're going along and all of a sudden your body feels tired and that's the way that your body communicates. Is the feeling, feeling of tired, feeling maybe there's a pain, whatever it's feeling. The voice of your soul is reason. Everybody get that? The voice of your soul area is reason. You reason things out. You think about things. You contemplate. But the voice of your spirit man is your conscience. Everybody has a conscience. Even the heathens out there have a conscience. And conscience is broken down. Con means with and science means knowledge. So it's with knowledge. So people inherently know within them. They're born with a conscience that to a degree they know right from wrong. And that's God's grace on humanity that they have a conscience. So let me talk to you real quick about the spirit. So in the tabernacle of Moses, the outer court was lit up by sunlight. That's your body. That represents your body. Because it's natural. Natural sunlight. Then you went into the holy place where it was lit up by the lampstand. That's the soul. Whenever you go into the holy of holies, it's lit up by the glory. That is your spirit man. So you've got the body, soul, and spirit in the tabernacle. And I'm saying all that because the spirit... Your spirit, I'm talking about your human spirit, is represented by the Holy of Holies. So you have the Ark of God, you have the mercy seat. And what the mercy seat was when the priest went in there and would put blood on the mercy seat, the glory would come down on that mercy seat and would light up the Holy of Holies. And so it was a place where God's glory dwelt, but the mercy seat was a place of meeting with God. And what, you, what spiritually mature people have got to learn to do is to get past their flesh in prayer and with the Lord and past their soul area and into the spirit where you get in the spirit. That's what I'm trying to get to tonight. Because when you're dealing with spiritual warfare and all the different things going on, you've got to understand that it's a spiritual battle. And you can't fight it in the flesh and you can't fight it in the soul. So you begin to learn how to get past your flesh and past your soul area. And you get in the spirit where it's spirit to spirit. That's where true revelation comes. And the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, represents your inner man, your spirit. Because the three things that were in the ark... Inside the ark, it was a box. In it was the Ten Commandments. It was Aaron's rod that budded and a jar of manna. Which speaks of the three parts of your spirit. Your spirit man has the Word of God written in it, which is the conscience. The Word of God, especially when you're born again, you know there's something in you. The Word of God is written in you. But even a sinner has a conscience. And I'm going to talk here in a moment about your conscience and explain it. 
Aaron's rod that budded was a supernatural thing. Aaron just had a piece of stick, a rod, okay? And he set it down, and God, God said, whoever's rod buds, you know, I'm with him. And his rod, even though it was a dead stick, began to bud and blossom. And so they put that in the Ark of the Covenant. But what that represents is John 15. It has to do with communion. Your spirit communes with the Holy Spirit. There's fellowship there. And John 15 says, if you abide in the vine, you'll bear much fruit. It's communion. It's fellowship. So your spirit has to do with your conscience. It has to do with communion. And then it has to do with the jar of manna, which has to do with intuition. Intuition is that feeling within you that God uses to lead you. You've got to develop this. Okay? Because you need to be able to walk throughout your day and know if something is of God and if it's not. You need to have a check in your spirit that something's wrong with this. Something about this situation. Maybe you're a businessman and you're about to enter a business deal, but you feel such a check in your spirit about the person, and so you begin to back off. So I don't know if I want to go into business with that person. I just don't feel right about it. In the natural, the guy looks fine. His company's got wealth. It, it looks good on paper. But in your spirit, it's like something is off. And it, it could be throughout your workplace. You just feel something isn't right. Or you feel drawn. The intuition, the, you know, people say a mother's intuition, but there's some truth to that. Because a mother can sense sometimes when something's wrong. What that is, is your spirit man that's talking to you and saying something's not right. It's the part of you in there, it's like that, that red alarm that's going, eh, eh, you know, in you that's saying, bad, you know, this is not good. And in, in, your, in your soul area, it's reasoning. So your mind's in there trying to reason it out. Going, what's the big deal? It doesn't look bad. Your soul area gets in the way sometimes because your soul area is trying to reason it out. But your spirit man can tell if something's of God or not. That's your intuition. So your spirit is a, has a conscience. There's communion with the Holy Spirit. There's fellowship. And also, it's intuition to know. This is deep tonight, but listen, you need this. You need this more than you could ever imagine because you've got to get to spiritual maturity. You know, the Bible says that some people are on spiritual milk. And I remember it was, you know, Peter, I believe, and Paul that talked about it. But, but one of them said, you know, I want to talk to you about deeper things, but you're still on milk. You need to be on the meat of the word. And so there's a time of getting out of this, this milk of the word and into the deeper things. And the deeper things have to do with this. Listen, Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food, this is meat, is for the mature who because of practice have trained their senses, their inner senses, to discern good and evil. So your spirit man can be developed and can be trained and can be brought to a place to where you know what's good and what's evil, it's a spiritual thing. It's not something your body's going to understand. It's not something that your soul area is going to be able to reason out. It's something that your spirit will know because the Holy Spirit is in your spirit and He will tell your spirit.
But a lot of people don't understand is, is when Jesus died on the cross, his flesh was ripped. And the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from humanity represents a veil of flesh, and it was ripped open. See, you've got to get past, I'm going to say something that's kind of a mystery here, but you've got to have this, the veil of flesh ripped in you. To where you can start moving in divine revelation. That the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. And you get it spiritually speaking. The veil of flesh is ripped so to speak. And your spirit man now is able to receive directly from God. See a lot of people never get past the flesh. They go to church. They clap their hands. They sing or whatever. It's all flesh. Some people get past that and they get in the soul. Their mind's on God. It's a soulish thing. But not too many have learned how to get in the spirit. It's different. When you get in the spirit, that's where divine revelation comes. I'll never forget the first time that God had ripped the veil of flesh, so to speak, in me. Is I was young in the Lord, but I'd spent a lot of time in prayer and I was praying in the, in the spirit. So here I was by myself praying in tongues, and all of a sudden it just came out of my mouth. I didn't even know what it meant or anything. It just came out in English. But I said out of my mouth as I was praying in the Spirit, Jacob and Esau, it's the flesh warring against the Spirit. And it was like when I said that, and it came out of my mouth, all of a sudden my mind began to go into divine revelation mode where I began to understand the deeper things about that story. Now that was just me. But God, that was the beginning of something in my life that it like opened a floodgate of revelation. Because I began to go deeper. Because see, you can read the Bible and read a story and see it in the natural. And you know, did you know that there's some college professors, totally heathen atheists that have read the Bible multiple times? And they'll brag about it, but they don't have a clue. They don't get it. Because they only have it with their flesh in a, in a secular carnal worldly mind that cannot understand the things of God. Unless you're born again, the Bible says that the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God. And the Spirit of God is the one that reveals it to you. Somebody that doesn't have the Spirit of God is not going to understand the deep things of God. They're not going to understand anything. And pretty much the only thing God is going to be speaking to them is, is that you're, you're in sin, you need Jesus, you need the cross, you need a Savior. That's about what they're going to be getting. But with me and you, the Lord is wanting to get you into some deeper things where you read the Bible and you see a story, but the Holy Spirit causes you to see the revelation that's in the story. That's why Paul talked about mysteries. He said, when you pray in tongues, you utter mysteries. But he also said that there was great revelation given to him. And it was so powerful that he said that God allowed a thorn in the flesh, which was a fallen angel that followed him around and attacked him, stirred up riots and everything. But God allowed that thorn there because to keep him humble, because he has such great revelation. See, Paul learned a lot of things through revelation that he wrote in the Bible. He didn't get it from man and he did not get it just from the Old Testament. He got it straight revelation. He talked about one of his encounters where he said that he was he didn't even know if he was in the body or not. He was taken to the third heaven and shown things. He got revelation. 
Amen? Let me read you a quick story. There was a pastor that was actually terminal. He was on his deathbed. True story. And um, there was a woman that was asked to come pray for him. Powerful intercessor. And I'm just reading this here. It says, the pastor's condition, condition was considered terminal, so I got in the spirit. Did everybody get that? Got in the spirit because she wanted to see what was really going on behind the scenes. And see, you go in and you see somebody there and you're seeing it with your physical eyes and your mind is trying to reason all the things. But if you'll get beyond all that and you'll let the Holy Spirit show you behind the scenes what's really going on in the spiritual realm. Let me finish this. You'll see what I mean. Suddenly, while she was praying, it says, it was as if the Lord gave me a vision and I appeared to be in a place that was like one of the regions of darkness. It was gloomy. It was cold. The sick brother was there, and in this vision, in this realm of darkness, in a spiritual place, she said that she saw the same hospital bed, that the brother was there, the same tubes that were in him. It was an exact replica of the visible realm, what she could see with the natural eye. The place was full of demonic spirits speaking over the sick man. They were cursing him. And she knew that he was a holy man, a servant of God, and the devil was trying to kill him. She asked the Holy Spirit about this place, and he said it was a chamber of darkness. And the Holy Spirit told her, I want you to go over where the demons are, and I want you to hear what they're saying. So she scooted over closer to them, and she heard them chanting, um, Satan, Satan, let your will be done on earth as it is in hell. That's interesting. And she was speechless. But anyway, to make a long story short, as she prayed... She began to come directly against the demonic spirits that she saw there. She bound them. She commanded them to leave that man of God. She took authority. And it, this was a spiritual thing. And she got a breakthrough in the spirit. Everybody say, in the spirit. It's in the spiritual realm. She got a breakthrough in the spiritual realm. And listen, this is a true story. The, after that experience, that pastor was on his deathbed. The doctors had given him up to die, made a full, full recovery. Full. There was nothing wrong with him after that. It was a full recovery. She had to fight the battle in the spirit realm. That's where the battle is. See, a lot of the battle is, is through revelation. It's God showing you what's really going on. How many times somebody's going through something... And their physical body is telling them one thing. Their, their natural mind is trying to reason it out. And all of a sudden, you're really in prayer. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. This is what's really going on. And then all of a sudden, boom. It's like a major breakthrough. See, the Bible talks about laying the axe to the root. You know, John the Baptist was preaching. And in context, he was talking about deep repentance. And he was talking about Jesus who was going to come after him. Who's, he wasn't worthy to carry his sandals and all that. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit with fire. But he said that the axe is being laid to the root. And in context, he was really dealing with repentance, if you think about it. That was his sermon. He was saying, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he was preaching repentance. But he said the axe is being laid to the root. So the Lord wants to hit the root. What a lot of people deal with in life is that they keep cutting off a branch and it seems to get better but the branch grows back 
And maybe they go to a revival or something, and it's like the tree gets really wounded. And it seems like it's, it's oh man, I've got to break through. But then it starts, the tree starts coming back. But if you'll let the Lord lay the axe to the root of the problem, which is a spiritual root, then the whole tree will wither and die. But the only way you're going to get spiritual revelation, that veil of flesh that's in you, that's why do you think that it talks about a circumcision of the heart in the Bible? A circumcision of the heart is a cutting away of the flesh. So there's got to be a, there's got to be the flesh cut out of of that area so that the Lord can begin to put in divine revelation. You know what I've noticed about people is once they've received from God in the area of divine revelation, people is once they've received from God, it's like something is broken within them, something's different within them, and they, it just keeps flowing from that day. It's like they're different. And I've seen people that once they receive from God in the altar, like maybe they had never gotten touched real powerfully, but one, one time all of a sudden the power of God really hits them and they really receive from God. It's like from that point they can receive really easily. But it's, there's something in them that changes. But we've got to be sensitive in our spirit, man. Your spirit man has got to stay sensitive to God. Your spiritual eyes have got to be anointed and stay sensitive to see. Your spiritual ears anointed to hear. And your spirit man has got to be sensitive. And so what I'm saying with that is, you've got to keep a clear conscience. Now please hear me because I don't think that you've probably heard anybody preach on this lately. But this is a very important thing I'm talking about as far as developing your inner man and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to where if I do something or I say something and it's not right, it's, you know, maybe I get upset and say something, whatever. I want to, the Holy Spirit to be able to immediately convict me right there and me deal with it as opposed to having to go three or four weeks before the Holy Spirit can finally get through to my hard head and insensitive spirit that is like a seared conscience that it takes 20 times for him to finally get through. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some people are like that. But listen to these scriptures. It says, Romans 9, 1, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter three sixteen, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. <coughs> 1 Timothy 4, 1, <clears throat> the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. You know what searing is? You take a steak, you go out there and you, you fire up the grill and you let the grill go for a little while and it's hot. I mean, it's really hot. And you take a steak and you slap it down on the grill and it sears the outside of it. And the reason why they do that, you know, and they flip it and sear the other side is because it traps moisture. But in the Bible, when it's dealing with your conscience, this is not a good thing. Okay, your a seared conscience is a conscience where God is ha having a very difficult time getting through to you. Now, let me explain this. Two of the things right here that it says cause a seared conscience 
is hypocrisy and lying. Hypocrisy and lying. I've seen some people that will just keep lying. I'm just saying this just a matter of fact, but the Revelation 21.8 says that, you know, all liars, not some, all will have their place in the lake of fire. So this is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And people want to keep lying. But you know what happens when you're lying? Your conscience is getting seared. It's getting hardened. And the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you, but you keep doing the same thing and your heart keeps getting harder and harder. You know why some people can sit through the most convicting sermon in the world and get nothing out of it? It's because they've hardened themselves. A scary place to be is where God can no longer speak to somebody. There's some people that they can go to church or whatever, they get in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit just barely moves and they're so sensitive. They're, well, you know, they can feel it. They're just crying. God convicts them, deals with them. They're in the altar, whatever. Some people can sit there and it, it, would, take, it would take several services to even begin to get through to them. Because they have a hardened heart. You know, the Bible says to not resist the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Holy Spirit, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Some people resist Him. Whenever the fire of the Holy Spirit is, is burst into flame, they want to quench what the Spirit of God is doing. And they grieve Him. Another thing is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is where... God is dealing with somebody about something and they know it's wrong and they keep doing it. But they're going to church and they're, you know, getting into it, but yet they're going home and they're doing it. It's a hypocrite. And hypocrisy hardens the heart. It sears the conscience. And it's dangerous because listen to the scripture now in light of what I'm preaching. It says, the spirit clearly says that in the last days, some will abandon the faith. This is in context of people abandoning the faith, following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Are you seeing this in context? People that have allowed their conscience to get seared are in a dangerous place of abandoning the faith, being deceived, and following doctrines of demons. There's times that I can hear somebody preaching and, it, and they're using scripture and it sounds good, but I can feel in my spirit that something's not right. We have to keep a clear conscience before the Lord and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's so imperative because in these last days, the Holy Spirit's going to deal with us about things. Alright, so here's, here's another point. You know, there's people that have undealt with issues in their life. They come to church and they have undealt with issues in their heart. They've been through difficult times in life, whatever. They have, they have wounds, they, whatever it is. And what you've got to understand is I've dealt with a lot of different areas of spiritual warfare and deliverance in this teaching. Now I'm going to deal with this. The spirit of a region, you need to, wherever you live, you may be listening to this and you live in the Middle East. You may be listening to this and you're in Africa. You may be listening to this in Europe. Somewhere here in the States. I'm in the South, but you may be in the North. But wherever you live, you need to discern the prevailing spirit of your region. 
And you need to be aware of what's going on there because, let me tell you why. If you're not careful, you become like the spirit of that region. See, the spirit of the region may be like real anti-freedom in worship because that's the way it seemed to be in East Texas when I was there. And the Holy Spirit will send in a pastor that just really has an anointing when it comes to freedom and worship. And he'll put them right in the middle of that place that the prevailing spirit of that region is against that. It's anti. And all around there you see dead worship in churches. Sterile. You know, it's, it's as anointed as watching, you know, gun smoke or whatever. You're just sitting there going... Seriously? And so it's just dead. And so the Lord will bring a preacher and he'll, he'll have a powerful anointing on him when it comes to freedom and worship. And he'll put him right in the middle of that. Now here's the thing. If he will keep running with the fire and releasing freedom and worship and, and preaching that, praying about that, allowing that, then he's going against the prevailing spirit in that area and he's effective. But if he allows himself to begin to tone it down, he begins to buckle under the pressure. There's, there's Sister Biddy so-and-so that don't like it. There's Brother Big Bucks that is got, he's offended because he doesn't like so-and-so dancing and he's going to pull his tithe because he don't like it. And so here's the preacher. Is he going now to move with God or is he going to be a sellout? That's witchcraft in the church, but it's everywhere. And so the preacher has to decide, I'm going to keep going with God, even if people don't like it. And if he'll keep doing that, he's effective. But if he begins to buckle under the pressure of what's going on, and he begins to tone it down and conform. Everybody say conform. If he begins to conform to the region, he will lose his effectiveness. And the very reason God sent him there, he will only be yielding about a 30-fold harvest instead of a 100-fold. Amen. God will take somebody that's extremely Pentecostal and put them where it's an anti-Pentecostal spirit. He'll take somebody that has an Elijah revival type of anointing and put them where it's spiritually dead. Why? He's wanting to change the region. Are you hearing me? He's wanting to change the region and use his servants to change the region. That's why they're there, is to bring change. But if they start being changed by what's around them, instead of them changing what's around them, there's a problem. And God will have to pass them by and bring somebody else in. Now, this prevailing spirit of a region is against the church. And man, if you're a church that's going after God, you're winning souls, you're seeing revival, you've punched a hole in the sky... The glory's there and all of that. That thing has you under a microscope. It's studying your ministry and it's wanting to come against you. And what it will try to do is it will try to make it, if it can't send people in, it will try to send people in to cause problems. But if it can't do that, it will try to find a weak person in there that hasn't dealt with their stuff and run, the, run his hand up in them like a puppet and then use them. All of a sudden that person that has undealt with issues of fear. They've been through stuff in their life growing up. It's like now they see the pastor through some kind of a distorted view 
of it was the dad that was never there. It's like they see them as the uncle that abused them. Are you hearing me? And it's like they, they have something just, you know, there's an irritation there. And it's this prevailing spirit of this area trying to use them to oppose the man of God. And this is why it's so important that the battleground of the mind is one. That you renew your mind and don't allow any thoughts in your mind that are not supposed to be there. Because the enemy tries to manipulate your mind. Putting thoughts that don't belong there, you've got to throw them out. You better stay in the Word. But also you've got to win the battleground of emotions. Listen, the scripture God gave me about this is James 4, 7. If you're taking notes, that's one to write down. It says in the Bible to submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. But you have to submit to God. You've got to submit your mind under the authority of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Submit your mind and submit your emotions to Him and let Him deal with the stuff that needs to be dealt with in you so that you cannot be used and manipulated by the enemy. This is good preaching. The battleground of the emotions. We have three typical emotions everybody has. Everybody deals with fear. Everybody deals with anger. And everybody has love to some extent. Fear... If it's not kept under control, the enemy can really use that. And fear causes us to push people away and causes people to put up walls. Anger, if it's not under the control, the discipline of the Holy Spirit, ungodly anger will actually drive people away from you. So you've got fear will cause you to shy away, but anger will drive other people away from you if you don't have it under control. Everybody has fears and anger to a degree. That's normal. There is a healthy fear. Okay? There is a healthy anger. When you see something and it's an atrocity and you get angry, you just, I can't believe that happened. That's a healthy thing. But the Bible says to be angry and don't sin in your anger. And everybody has a degree of love. So fear causes you to remove yourself. Anger drives other people away if it's not under control. But love causes people to come together. Amen? You've got to forgive all offenses. Some people are out of church because they got hurt in church. Man, I'm not, being, I'm not belittling that because it's, it can be very painful. But let me just tell you this. Everybody has been hurt in church to some extent by somebody. Everybody. So what are we all supposed to do? There's no more church anymore? You know, we just all stay home? I mean, there's a point of just, let's just get over it. You know what I'm saying? I've had, I've had to forgive some stuff now. But let's get over it and get together. And you may need to move on from that place to another church, but don't get out of church. The Bible says in the last days, as you see the Lord's approaching, all the more come together. Assemble together. That's going to church. All the more. And you know what? We are seeing the last days. So let the Lord mend old wounds. And it may sound insensitive, but it's not insensitive. It's like this. If you've been hurt, forgive and let's get over it and let's move on. You hear what I'm saying? Let's get over it. Let it go. Now 
Now, real quick, I'm going to talk about developing your inner man. So I'm hoping that got real clear because the enemy in this area, I'm not going to go too far into this today, but I am going to touch on it, okay? But here's what you need to do to develop your inner man. Listen, you are as strong spiritually as your prayer life. That's it. That's something that you can write down. And I don't mean, like that guy said, I don't mean on a flimsy piece of paper. Get you a stone and a chisel, okay? And mount it on the wall somewhere. Listen, you are as strong as your prayer life is. If your prayer life is weak, then you're spiritually weak. If it's strong, you're strong. We've got to go deeper in prayer and have a strong, powerful prayer life. Now, for me, my prayer life, number one, Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, our Father in heaven, it's coming through the blood. If you don't come through the blood, it's going to be a very frustrating thing. When I first started praying, I tell the story. I didn't know how to pray. Went in a room, had a little boombox or whatever it was back then, had a CD playing, worship. And I mean, I just wanted to just sit there and just beat my head up against the wall because it was so boring because I didn't know how to pray. And so I'm telling you, if you listen to me, you won't have to go through beating your head up against the wall. I can help you have a powerful prayer life. So number one is... Go through the blood, washed, covered in the blood every day. You need the blood over your life fresh that day. Get washed in the blood. You can take communion at that time, just you and the Lord. I do. You don't have to, but I take communion every day. Again, that's up to you. That's between you and God. But I get washed in the blood. I come through the blood. Then, Jesus said, hallowed be your name. That's worship. Put on some worship you like. You know, and begin to worship the Lord. As you worship the Holy Spirit, He rides on the winds of worship. As you worship the Lord, and let me just say this, talk to the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Oh, people, I think the Holy Spirit really is, I believe this, I believe to a degree He's lonely because everybody knows about the Father and everybody knows about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, He's the one that's in you, He's with you, He's in your home, He's in your prayer life. And he wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. And people just ignore him. And they're talking to the Father, which is wonderful. You need to do that. But this is how prayer works. The Holy Spirit helps you pray, but you talk to the Father in the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, as the Holy Spirit helps you. Because he helps you know what to pray. That's how it works. But anyway, the blood, then worship, then you begin to pray. What did Jesus teach us? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's intercession. That's going after it. I mean, you begin to really pray for your family. You begin to pray for your co-workers. You pray about finance, whatever. You really pray. Actually, during this time is where I pray for my family. I pray for America. I pray for Israel. I pray for laborers to be sent, all of that. Then you go from that into give us our daily bread. That's actually where you're going to ask about things like finances and such. But let me tell you a secret about that. Pray specific and believe. If you'll pray specific and you'll believe, God will do it. See, people, the story Dr. Cho tells all the time, it's hilarious. You know, he's a funny man if you ever hear him preach. I mean, hilariously funny. But he was talking about he really needed a bike and he needed a chair and a desk and all this stuff. And he was living in Korea where it was just dirt poor. And he was praying, Lord, give me a bike, give me a desk. 
And it, was a, it wasn't just like a want. I mean, it was like he really needed this stuff. And um, it wasn't happening. And he asked the Lord, he says, Lord, your, your word says if I pray for my needs, you'll do it. So what's the deal? And the Lord spoke to him and said, which bike? I mean, there's like hundreds. You know, which desk? And so Dr. Cho was like, oh, okay, well, I want this specific bike, this specific color and brand. I want this specific desk. And he had it within like two weeks. God gave it to him. You got to be specific and believe. And when you believe, you talk like you believe. You're like, it's coming. And while he was believing, it's funny because once he prayed and believed, you know, he always used the expression of, I'm pregnant with this, you know, that's his expression. And so some of his friends, he kept saying, I have my bike, I have my desk, because he was believing, but he didn't actually physically, it wasn't there yet. And his friends were like, well, let us see. And they come, and there was no bike and no desk. And they're like, well, where's your bike and desk? And he goes, it's in here, I'm pregnant with it. And so they made fun of him, you know, it's like a pregnant man type of thing. But you know what? Within a few weeks, he was the one laughing because it was there. See, when you believe, you talk like you believe. You're like, Lord, I know it's happening. Thank you for it. All right, then, you know, forgive us of our debts. You've got to check yourself for unforgiveness and pray about walking in forgiveness. Jesus said, don't lead me into temptation. You need to pray that way. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Don't let things come my way that's going to make me fall or stumble. Help me. Order my steps. And then deliver us from the evil one is divine protection. There's a promise I love in the Bible that says God encamps his angels around those that fear him. And they deliver him. So the angels are around those that fear the Lord and they're there to deliver you. And another thing, I always, when it comes to that last part, deliver us from evil, I always pray, I speak out loud Psalm 91. I always do that. I've done that for years. I just, I have it memorized, so I just quote it out loud over me and my family and all under my authority, but I quote Psalm 91. There's a power in that scripture. And then close out your prayer with praise. You know, this is faith. Lord, I thank you that you've heard my prayers. I thank you it's done. I bless you. You're worthy. Thank you so much. And if you'll do that, if you have a life of prayer like that, you'll go deep and God will move in a mighty way. So let me move on. It was not my notes. I felt led to share that. I really did. Developing your inner man, one of the main ways you develop your inner man is praying in the Spirit. If you don't have your prayer language, you need to get your prayer language, okay? Ask me to pray for you. When we pray, you will get it. Okay? You receive the Spirit, Galatians 3, 13, 14. You receive the Spirit by faith. And when we pray, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay, you've already been born again. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit... The Lord comes on you with power. He clothes you with power. And you're filled to overflowing. And the Lord gives you a prayer language. Your prayer language is a heavenly language. But here's the thing about speaking in tongues. Your inner man, your spirit man is strengthened and developed as you spend time in prayer as you spend time in God's presence, as you spend time in the Word, as you meditate on the Word, but also it, one of the greatest ways you strengthen and develop your spirit man is by praying in the Spirit. Like I talked about last week, when you pray in tongues, it is your spirit that is praying. A lot of people don't know that. It's your spirit that utters mysteries. 
your mind does not understand what you're saying because it's in a foreign language to you. It's a heavenly language. But it's actually your spirit, man, that's praying. And also, here's some awesome things about praying in tongues. Okay, you've got this in your notes. Number one, you utter mysteries. That means God gives you great revelation. How many of you want revelation? You want to go deeper than just the milk of the word. And when you read something, you just see it on the surface level. You want to go deeper than that where God has really given you revelation. Well, if you'll pray in the Spirit, you'll start getting revelation. Another thing is, the Holy Spirit prays through you the perfect will of God. A lot of people don't know this, but it's part of your armor. Did you know that? Praying in tongues is part of your armor. Read it. Ephesians chapter 6, it gives you the helmet all the way down to the shoes. And at the end it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's part of your armor. Also, it sharpens your discernment. Where when you're, you remember me saying that you'll get a check in your spirit, you'll know something's of God or not. If you want to have a sharp discernment, spend time praying in the spirit. <clears throat> it builds up your most holy faith. How many of you guys would say, I want my faith level to go up? Spend time praying in the Spirit because Jude 20 promises that it will build up your faith. You know why? Because faith comes from your Spirit. And when your Spirit is strengthened and built up, your faith is going to be built up. Another thing that's a benefit about speaking in tongues is the enemy does not understand what you're praying. So the enemy is not going to be able to set up any attacks to try to come against your prayers. Another thing is you will stay in the perfect will of God. Now think about this. You're spending every day, you're worshiping God, you got your prayer life, you're praying in the Spirit a lot in your prayer life. I'm going to tell you, driving down the road is a powerful time to pray in the Spirit. But here you are worshiping, you pray in the Spirit. The, the demonic has no idea what you're praying. But here you are praying the perfect will of God and the Holy Spirit is praying through you the perfect will of God for your day. And the Holy Spirit is sitting here praying. You don't have a clue what's going on, but the Holy Spirit's down here going, Father... This person really needs some help. They've got this issue. They're going to face this today. And meanwhile, back at the farm, here you are not having a clue what's going on. But in your, your, in your mind, you're just sitting there going along just praying in the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is praying through you the perfect will of God. And it's ordering your steps for the day. He's praying through you for the people you're going to encounter, your family, your life, whatever it is. He's praying through you, and it's lining things up into the will of God. People that pray a lot in the Spirit will stay in the will of God. Also, when, the Holy, when you pray in the Spirit, you will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, Ephesians 3.16. But you're strengthened in your inner man. Also, sanctification. The Bible talks about in James 3.8, 1 Peter 1, 1.2, but it talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And James 3.8 says something about your tongue being tamed. You know where one of the greatest battles people face is their mouth? When they become a Christian, cleaning up their mouth. You know how to clean out your mouth? Start praying in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will pray through you and it will change the way you talk. It will change the way you think. And it will, there's a sanct, the Holy Spirit, He does a sanctifying work within you. As you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. He's changing you. He's cleaning you out. He's strengthening your inner man 
so that you're dying to the flesh, but you're walking in the Spirit. Also, Isaiah 28, 11 through 12 talks about refreshing. Peter mentioned refreshing on the day of Pentecost, that times of refreshing will come. You are refreshed when you pray in the Spirit. And Jesus taught us in John 4, 23, that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So true worship is in spirit. It comes from your spirit. And it has, and let me tell you, worshiping in tongues has a lot to do with that. But let me explain that. Though some people sit there, you know, you see them in church and here they are worshiping God. It's just totally the flesh. Yeah, you know, and they're singing some song. And then you've got other people that all it is is the soul. They're just singing out of their memory something they got memorized and going through the motions. That's all they're doing. They're going through the motions. They're standing there, you know. I know this song. Everybody knows this song. We're all singing this song. Burger King after church. Cracker Barrel. Applebee's. And they're just kind of going through the song, singing the song. And they're not. that's no more worship, okay, than anything. I mean, true worship is not in your physical body and it's not in the realm of the soul. True worship is in spirit. You get past your flesh, you get past even the soul area, and it's from your spirit. It's not singing about God, it's worshiping Him, singing to Him. But your prayer life, dwelling in God's presence and praying in the Spirit will build up and strengthen your inner man. And you will need that in these days to come big time. We're going to have to have Also, prayer and fasting. Listen, fasting brings major breakthroughs, Isaiah 58. And I'm not going to go through this, just read it real quick. But there's different fasts in the Bible, like a three-day full-on fast for crisis, food and water. Um, a 21-day partial fast in Daniel 10, 2-3. It had to do for Revelation. Daniel was praying for Revelation. There's a one-day fast for personal spiritual examination. There's a one-day fast to hear from God and victory over your enemies. You know, the children of Israel went to battle in Judges 20. Just lost. Yeah, Judges 20, 18 through 28. They went to battle and lost. And God told them to go. Then they go to battle and lose again. And so here they are. They're praying, but they decided this time we're going to fast. And they fast all day. They pray and they fast. And then the next day, God told them to go. He told them to go all three times. So why did they lose the first two times? Because they didn't fast. But the third time when they fasted all day and they prayed, they went to battle, they won. Fasting has to do with victory and warfare. Fasting also can avoid judgment. Even God had mercy on King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of Israel, because he humbled himself in sackcloth and ashes and he prayed and he fasted whenever Elijah told him, you know, God's going to get you, man. And and he, he went and he prayed and he fasted and God had mercy on Ahab. Fasting for physical health, 1 Samuel 30. A 40-day fast for dominion. Anyway, you can study that out on your own. I don't want to get bogged down there. I don't want to do a, a sermon on fasting. But, but prayer and fasting. Fasting makes you sensitive. Because see, your flesh is diminishing, but your spirit is getting stronger when you fast. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve used their body to eat something they weren't supposed to eat. But fasting is using your body to not eat what you could. Did everybody get that? Fasting is powerful. There's promises in the Bible connected to fasting, specifically Isaiah 58, that you can't get any other way. 
I'm going to start closing this down. Listen, Satan controls people through unforgiveness, religion, pride, fear, rebellion, lust, greed, idolatry, ungodly anger, and witchcraft control. Let me read you this story. Talking about the power of praying in the Spirit. You guys ready? Alright, so this preacher said that back in 1956, this is a long time ago, he said his wife and him were in California and he was awakened suddenly in the middle of the night. It was as if someone laid his hand on me. So this preacher said that he set up, he bolted up in bed, middle of the night, like three in the morning. His heart was beating rapidly and he said, Lord, what's the matter? I know something is wrong somewhere. Holy Spirit in me, you know everything, you're everywhere. Whatever this is, whatever's going on, I'm asking you to pray through me. Give me the utterance. So this preacher, he's, he's all of a sudden jolts up in bed. He knows something's wrong. And he says, Holy Spirit, something's wrong. Pray through me. And so he begins to, to pray in the Spirit. So he's praying in tongues for an hour. And then at the end of it, he began to laugh and sing praises to God because in his spirit, he knew that what he had prayed about was done. Are you hearing me? So there's a time when you're travailing and you're interceding and you're under a burden and you keep praying, keep praying, and all of a sudden you feel that burden come off you and you feel laughter. You feel praise. Why? Because you just won the victory. So anyway, he prayed in tongues. He began to laugh. He knew that he had won the battle, whatever was going on, victory. So he decided to go back to sleep. That night, he dreamed and he saw that his younger brother had become extremely ill in Louisiana. In the dream, he saw an ambulance with lights flashing, take him to the hospital. He stood at the corridor of the hospital room in this dream and the door was shut. The doctor came out, pulled the, pulled the door shut behind him, looked at the preacher and said, your brother's dead. The preacher said, no doctor, he's not dead. And the doctor said, well, what do you mean? And, he, and, and the preacher said, look, the Lord told me he would live and not die. So the doctor became angry and irritated. And he said, come with me and I'll show you he's dead. I pronounced too many people dead to not know when someone's dead. And he took me by the arm and led, I'm reading this, he took him by the arm and led him into his brother's room into the dream. And when he walked in where the bed was, the doctor jerked the sheet back and his brother's eyes popped open. The doctor saw that his brother was alive. And he began to stutter. He was nervous. He said, you must have known something I didn't know. He's alive. And in the dream, he saw his brother rise up from that bed well. And that's what he had been praying about that night. So while he was... Now, here's the end of the story. Let me scoot over to this. Three months later... He came home to Texas where his brother was. And his brother comes up to him and tells him, while you were gone, I almost died. Now this is back in the day, way before cell phones and all that. So I mean, they hadn't talked. And so he's sitting there, his brother's, his brother's telling him, I almost died. And the preacher's saying, I already knew this. And so the brother's thinking, somebody already told him, you know. But then the preacher said, no, nobody told me. He told his brother, he said, listen, when that, that very night that that happened, that very night that that happened, the Holy Spirit woke me up and was praying through me for an hour in the Spirit. I even had a dream 
And I knew because I prayed that God answered my prayers and you were going to be okay. It was literally praying in the spirit, divine revelation. How in the world would that preacher know in California what's going on in Texas? I tell you, his body didn't know, and I tell you that his soul didn't know. It was his spirit that knew. The Holy Spirit prompted him in his spirit, and as he began to pray in the spirit earnestly, God moved through those prayers because he's praying in tongues. He doesn't even know what he's praying. All he knows is something is wrong. The Holy Spirit is praying through him and released a miracle. And it literally saved his brother's life. You guys have no idea sometimes when you're praying in the Spirit what you're praying about. Do you really realize that the reason maybe you have such a burden and you're travailing could be because somebody's life is in danger. And it could be that somebody's about to die and you're the last person that's going to pray for them to be saved before they die. And if you were to resist the Holy Spirit and you were to quench that and you were to walk away, they could spend eternity in hell. But if you'll surrender and you'll yield yourself and let the Holy Spirit use you in intercession, you could literally save their life or, you know, bigger than that, spare them from an eternity in hell through your prayers. But Satan tries to control people like the spirit of this region tries to control people through unforgiveness I'm going to talk about religion. I'm going to close this out talking about religion and witchcraft. So Holy Spirit, I pray tonight right now for divine revelation. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would increase your anointing in your presence and your fire. And Lord, that you would anoint eyes and ears and that you'll lock people in and bring your presence up to a whole new level and let people come into a place of beginning to see things, not just with their natural eyes and their natural mind, but with their spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for that right now. But see, people that come into church and they, they have unforgiveness. They're religious. I mean, those God isn't religious. They're religious. They're prideful. They're fearful. They're rebellious. They're full of lust. They're full of greed. Idolatry. They have ungodly anger, witchcraft control. The enemy tries to control them through those issues. Pretty soon their pride, if they're a proud person, their pride gets offended. Because there's something going on in their church that they know is not going to look good in the community. And they're caught up with their own status and their own appearance. And that's all they care about is how they look. And they want to go to a respectable church where things are decent and, and it's in the way they think it should be in order and all of that. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moves it knocks a whole, a whole bunch of people down and here they are rolling around and laughing. It offends their pride. And so now they're coming at the pastor in his face. So you need to shut this down. What is it? It's the enemy using them through pride to oppose what's going on, to oppose the move of the spirit. Same thing with fear. Same thing with rebellion or lust or greed or whatever. Those areas have got to get under the blood. Are you hearing me? You've got to let the Holy Spirit burn out of you the, anything that can, the enemy can manipulate. And Satan tries to worm his way into people's lives, not only through unforgiveness, but things I've preached on in the past. Dedicate, things in their generational curses, dedications to other gods, things like that. That's why it's so important that people walk through 
personal inner healing and deliverance, and churches need to offer that. Because people are coming in with baggage. They've got generational stuff. They've got things from their past. They need to specifically deal with it and have somebody that's anointed walk them through deliverance and pray for them specifically about their past and their bloodline and get free from all that. Amen. I'm going to close with this, this funny story in the Bible. Close now talking about religion and witchcraft and then we'll, we'll shut it down. But listen, Mark 2, it says that John, talking about John the Baptist. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came to Jesus and said, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So this is the funniest thing. They're fasting and praying about the coming Messiah. Hello? And there he is right in front of them and they don't even recognize, you know. And so they're asking his disciples, the disciples of the Messiah, why aren't you fasting? And Jesus said they can't fast while the bridegroom is with them. Hello? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. Now here's, see here's Jesus, you know, you're going along talking about fasting. What in the world, listen to this, he goes, okay, on the day I'm gone, they'll fast. Then he goes into this, and no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. It's like, what? And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I'm sure these guys are just sitting there going, and patches and wineskins fasting, what? But Jesus, listen, this is why you have to have, you know how many times the Bible says you have to have eyes to see. It says those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, you have to be able to see spiritually. Why do you think that they didn't get his parables? Jesus is teaching a parable and they're just, they had no idea. And Jesus would tell his disciples, the secrets of the kingdom are revealed to you. But those seeing, they never understand. What Jesus was saying was this. Your old stinky cloth of, of religion. You want me to sew a patch of revival on your stinky garment of religion. But if I sew a new patch of revival to patch up your stinky hole and this stinky garment, whenever you wash it, the revival patch is going to rip away from your dead religion and it's going to ruin everything. In other words, I can't take the new wine of revival and put it in your dead, stinky old wineskin. I need you to ditch the old religious wineskin that you have and let me give you a new one. That's what Jesus was saying. But you can't get that in your natural mind. You have to understand what he's saying spiritually. And just imagine some old nasty garment. Dirty, stinky garment, B.O., okay, going up, there's got a big hole in it, and they're going, can you just please sew a patch and, and fix our stinky religion, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to try to fix your religion. Throw the thing out. I'll give you a new garment. Taking an old, nasty wineskin of religion. You see some crusty old church, you know, I ain't seen a move of God in a hundred years. Coming to Jesus with their old, stinky wineskin. Jesus, just pour out this new wine of this last day revival. And Jesus is saying, if I do that, it's going to blow everything to pieces. You know, half your church is going to leave tomorrow. 
and everything is going to go to pot, you have no idea what you're asking. You're going to have to start over. You're going to have to get rid of this old nasty wineskin. So the stronghold over this area that we live, I want you guys to please listen to me. The stronghold over the area we live is religious witchcraft. It is religion and it's witchcraft control. That's what the stronghold is. The spirit over this region, the principality over this region, has to do with religion and it has to do with witchcraft control. That's what it has to do with. And I'm going to add a third that there's also an element there of racism that's kicked in. But a lot of people are not necessarily, a lot of people that I, I know anyway, are not necessarily race, racist in that respect, but there's a prejudice there that if you're not like them, they will persecute people that are different than them. And everybody get that? So it's, it's not really like a skin color thing, really, but you see it in the church world in that if you're different, they persecute what's different just because it's different. And that goes back to a spirit of prejudice that also is lingering here. But anyway, I want to deal with religious witchcraft. Listen, religion is a very dangerous thing. Jesus' greatest enemies were the Pharisees. They were religious people. They knew the Bible. They were very religious. But at the same time, they were the ones that hated him the most. Multiple times wanted to kill him and ended up watching him die on the cross and persecuted him while he was dying on the cross. Even though he said, if I wanted to, Jesus said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down willingly. But the Pharisees hated Jesus. And the Pharisees of today hate Jesus just as much, but they'll act like they love Him. They hate the move of the Holy Spirit. Is it okay that I preach against religion as I close this out? Listen, religion has to do with politics. You know, the religious Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were in alignment with the Roman government. They actually allowed... John the Baptist was in the line of Aaron. He was actually supposed to be the high priest of Israel. They, you know, the Romans would not accept John. So the Pharisees worked with Rome to put Caiaphas there. He was not anointed by God. He was not God's choice. But it was a political alignment. Are you hearing me? Political alignments are religious. That's why... There's so many problems in a lot of denominations because it's political based. They have people in positions of authority that God never... Get. They'll have people in apostolic positions that are not apostles. They have people in positions that are there. They, lack, they don't have the anointing and they don't have the gifting or the grace to be there. It's a political alignment. Religion has to do with traditions of men. People are traditional. They think about how the good old days, how it used to be. How many of those religious people hate change? Oh, man. You try to bring change, and it's like that, you know, that crusty wineskin. You know, it's just, it's not going to work. They hate change. And to be honest with you, a really, truly religious person that's given over to a spirit of religion hates the Holy Spirit. They may act like they love Jesus, but they hate the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, they hate it. They hate his presence. They hate what he does. They hate his gifts. And they can't stand the move of the Spirit. That's a fact. 
Not everybody's like that. There's degrees. Some people are a little bit religious, and there's some people that are Pharisees. You hear me? But the Pharisees, they don't like the Holy Spirit. A religious person is fault-finding and critical. The accuser of the brethren. Judgmental. They're concerned about structure. Remember when we've ministered some places, Sandy and I, we always laugh about it because you know you got to go with the authority there, but it's like at 10.38, we're going to do this, and then at 10.42, we're going to do this. It's like, you know the Holy Spirit is not going to be moving tonight. You know, you, you can't have... See, people want structure. What they want is they want structure and they want their order. But people say all the time, we want it decent in order. But listen, God's decent in order is not theirs. God's decent in order looks like chaos to them, but it's not. You know why there's so much controversy around music? Satan used to be a fallen cherub. I've told you guys, tabrets and pipes within him. So there was something in Satan's life back before he fell that had to do with music. And so since he's the one behind this, there's so much controversy about worship because Satan used to lead worship back in you know, And so there's something there that you can talk about anything else, but when you get into worship and you get into music, Satan, there's a tremendous amount of controversy there. Did you know one of the greatest... You guys, some of you guys are so innocent and stuff here. It's, it's awesome. I love it. But if you ever got out of here and got, got out there, there, there's a tremendous amount of persecution against freedom and worship. That's one of the greatest battlegrounds in most churches. Most churches have very dead worship. And also about, let me say this about personal convictions. The Bible says that the Jezebel spirit, Revelation 2.20 talks about it. It says that she misleads the servants of God into sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. It's a seduction. It's a pull. You know what that means? A lot of people don't know what that means. The food sacrifice to idols was a real hot debate back in the early church about personal convictions. In other words, let me say it this way. That spirit of Jezebel wants to seduce people into compromising their personal convictions. Did everybody get that? You have a personal conviction about something. and In your heart, you don't feel like it's right. But there's, there's something trying to use another person to try to get you to, to be seduced into that to where you compromise your convictions. That's a Jezebel spirit. But personal convictions, this is really important that you guys get this because this, this when I'm dealing with the religious spirit, there's personal convictions that you may have that maybe somebody else don't have, but you need to obey the Holy Spirit for yourself about your personal convictions. There may be things that the Holy Spirit won't let you watch and do and participate in or whatever that somebody else that calls themselves a Christian, they feel comfortable with it, but you must have a higher calling. There was one guy one time, true story, that he was addicted to chewing tobacco for years. And when he quit, he started chewing gum. And as he chewed the gum, it became a psychological addiction to him, okay? Anyway, and so he decided that for him, personally that he just wasn't going to chew gum because he felt like it was, to him, just as addictive as anything else because it was psychological. 
And so then he went to the extreme, though, of beginning to feel like nobody should be chewing gum. See, the thing is that you can start pushing your personal convictions onto other people. And that's not good because the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to do that. Pray for them. Now, there's times you may see somebody and you're going, they do need to be convicted about that. But it's not your place to go up there. It just pray for them. And if you do need to say something, say it in love. But don't push your personal convictions on people. Amen? And here's the thing, too, about personal convictions. But even though the Holy Spirit may allow something in your life between you and the Holy Spirit, you know that He allows it. You better be careful because the Bible says to not be a stumbling block to other people. And Paul said this. He said, if me eating meat would cause my brother or cause somebody to stumble into sin, he said, I would become a vegetarian over it. He said, I'm not going to do anything to make somebody stumble because I love them. So even though you might be have a freedom in a certain area, and the Holy Spirit knows that you can handle it, whatever it is, you can handle it. This example. You can handle chewing gum, okay? You know, just using that example. But he knows that maybe he, maybe it was the Holy Spirit dealt with this guy. It's, it's meant, you know, you can't handle it. To you, it becomes, you know, an obsessive thing. And you just, maybe all day long, he's just constantly, you know, chewing gum and just, you know, I don't know. But the Holy Spirit knows that he couldn't handle it. And maybe dealt with him about it. It was a, listen, it was a legitimate, maybe it was a legitimate conviction to him. But he didn't need to go around shoving that on other people. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit may know somebody else can handle it. But listen, here's where sin would come in. That guy, as silly as it sounds about gum, okay, it's a good example. But let's say that that guy, though, had to struggle with that. And in his heart, he felt like he doesn't need to be doing that. Listen to me. If you love that guy, then you're not going to be sitting around chewing gum and messing with him about it because if the Lord really dealt with him about it you don't need to try to pull him down if you love him then you listen this is important if you love him you will not be doing something that will cause him to stumble amen even though to you you look at it and go well that seems silly it seems ridiculous because you love people and you know that you don't want to pull them down See, that religious spirit traffics in these areas and tries to bring a lot of confusion. The religious spirit is very legalistic and it will approach things in a very cold, unloving manner and it will try to beat people into submission instead of letting the Holy Spirit do the work. Now, witchcraft, I've already taught on this so much I don't want to you know, go back and reteach it, but it has to do with ungodly control. The witchcraft spirit has to do with Jezebel and it has to do with disrespect for authority, opposing authority, undermining authority, rebellion. And this spirit operates by a confusion of making the victim look like the bad guy and the bad guy look like a victim. I've seen that over and over. This is the prevailing spirit of our region. If we're going to be effective, we cannot be religious. If we're going to be effective, we cannot allow any witchcraft going on. And I'm talking about charismatic Christian type stuff. The, the weird control, the manipulation, praying things that aren't the will of God. You guys know what I'm talking about. You can't have that. If you allow that stuff, 
then you're giving in to the spirit of this region. You won't be affected. Some people, without whether they mean to or not, I don't know, but they've made alliances with the spirit of their region by an attitude of, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. You give me peace and I'll give you peace. It's basically they're saying, whether they mean it or not, they're basically saying, I will conform to the way that this region is to have peace in my life. I won't have the opposition of the, the spirit of this region, the principality. It won't oppose me. I'll just come into agreement with that and have peace in my life like that. And without really meaning it, they're aligning themselves in agreement and making a pact with the spirit of that region. Not me. I remember preaching one time about the Apostle Paul when he was in Ephesus. And it talked about they had these guys, these seven sons of a man named Sceva, and he had, there was a Jewish chief priest were there, and they decided they were going to try to cast a demon out of a guy. They weren't even Christians. This is a true story in Acts chapter 19. Read it. It's kind of funny, but at the same time, if you were one of the seven sons of Sceva, you weren't laughing. But anyway, the demon-possessed man jumped on eight, eight people and gave them such a beatdown that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And this is what the demon said. Listen, the demon said this. He said, I know Jesus and I know who Paul is, but who are you? I don't want to be the guy that the demon's saying, who are you? No. You know, listen, I remember one guy saying one time, he said, I want to be, you know, on Satan's top ten most wanted, you know, in, in my poster in hell's post office or whatever. <laughs> But how would you like to be the person that the demon in the area says, I know, I know Jesus, and I know who that guy is. We'll read the rest of this and do a study. Listen, on the end of this, the Holy Spirit's about to fall in power. Actually, I'm going to pray with some people tonight about something important, okay? But cancel the legal ground. However something got in your life, find out and cancel that. Get it under the blood. Destroy the works of the enemy and drive out anything that needs to go. Start with the strong man. If you want to walk in victory, you've got to have discernment. The Lord's going to show you what the problem is. You can read the rest of these notes. Have deep, heartfelt repentance. Make sure you forgive others. Pray and fast. Have stubborn faith. Have a fresh anointing. The early church, if you read the book of Acts, what marked the early church, they met from house to house. There's nothing wrong with meeting in places, but they met from house to house. Street evangelism was powerful. In every meeting, the Holy Spirit moved freely in services. Gifts of the Spirit were commonplace. The sick were healed and demons came out of people. They took communion weekly and they understood the power of speaking a blessing because they were Jewish. Persecution was all around them, but apostolic and prophetic government was over them. There was no politics in church and they continually looked for Jesus' soon coming. That's what marked the early church. And so I didn't have a way of putting this on the notes that are here, but listen, I'm going to send this out. We're going to get this out by email. And I've got a list that Rick Joyner compiled. It's like 27 things. Of check yourself to see if you have a religious spirit. It's really good. Just read over it. And there's also... Listen, for you to understand the Bible, understand end-time prophecy, 
understand spiritual warfare and all of that, you've got to understand Bible symbolism. And you sit there and you read something, it's like the ten-headed beast, and there was something blue, and there was gold, and you're going, what in the world? But if you understand what the number ten means, and you understand what a crown is, and you understand what the gold means, and you understand what the color blue means, then you understand what it is saying. And so at the end of these notes I send out by email, it explains to you biblical symbolism, colors, metals, different things. It talks about the cherubim, talks about what the different numbers mean, the five major um, offerings and the seven feast days. It explains all of it. So make sure that you download these notes and study them in your personal prayer life, okay, over this next week. But if you understand those things, it makes, the, it makes a depth come in to your Bible reading that you begin to understand the end times, you begin to understand the whole Bible in a way that you never did before. Because the color blue means something. Color red means something. Silver, the metal silver, means something in the Bible. It means redemption. When you understand the numbers, six is the number of sinful man. When you understand all that, you understand what the offerings in the seven feast days mean. It's like it blossoms the word of God to you. You can really understand it in a way you never did before. Or I'm going to pray with people, but I want you to listen to me about what we're going to pray about. It has to do with the eye gate. There's different ways that the enemy tries to get in people's lives. And tonight I've been talking to you about your inner man getting strengthened and spiritual vision sharpening. And for your inner man to be strong and for you to have sharp spiritual vision, you've got to let the Lord cleanse out anything of the enemy out of your eye gate and your imagination. Jesus said if your eye is dark, your whole being is dark. The eye gate is a big deal with God. Now let me explain. This is how things can get in people. The eye gate. It can be a gate that opens and stuff gets into people. Some people have literally a critical eye. It's religious. It's a religious spirit. That religious spirit has done this to them. It has given them a critical eye. It's like it super glued these religious goggles on them that they can't get off. And every time they look at something, they can't help but criticize and fault find and be suspicious and, and tear down. Everything that they look at, they'll look on Christian TV, they'll go to a service, they'll go to a revival, they look at a preacher. The very first thing that pops in their head is some criticism. It's a critical eye and it's demonic. And they need to get that thing out. They need to get delivered of it, seriously. And it also, with that, it, that criticism, it can also be legalism. Everything they see, they see it through some kind of tinted vision of legalism. That's the first. The second thing that can be there in the eye gate is a false perception. This has to do more with the witchcraft side or the Jezebel side of this thing. I want you guys to be... I want you guys to be the thorn in the side of this spirit of this region. Okay, I want you to be the one that it's like, I know Jesus and I know so and so. So to be that, we're not going to have anything in this region that's of the enemy in us. Amen? We're going to be free. It's all going to be burned out and gone. So you've got the criticism, that's the religion. Then you've got the witchcraft side over here. 
And that's the false perception. Where there's like a counterfeit discernment. It's suspicious, but it's a counterfeit discernment. Somebody feels like, I don't like that person. They just, but yet they're of God. And then they feel drawn to another person that's not of God. It's counterfeit. It's a spirit that is pretending to be the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit. And that person thinks that they're getting this information from God, but it's not. It's a counterfeit. It's a false perception. And then the third area has to do with sin. Okay, This could be obviously in the area of lust. Would you think about the power of the eye gate? When Lot moved his family away from Abraham, he pitched his tents looking at Sodom. And pretty soon, he was not outside anymore. He was living in Sodom with his family. So what he was looking at, what he was staring at, he, it, drew, it drew him in. It sucked him in. That's the power of the eye gate. Now, the long story short is that his sons-in-laws that married his daughters, his sons-in-laws were bisexual and ended up staying back and getting consumed with the fire. His wife, when they left, was so consumed with Sodom that she turned back wanting to go back and God made her a pillar of salt. So he lost his sons-in-laws, he lost his wife, now it's him and his two biological daughters. And they had become so sexually perverted in Sodom that they deliberately got him drunk so that they could have sex with him, so that he would impregnate them. And that's where you get Moab and Ammon, the nations. That's how sexually perverted they were. So Lot, it all began with the eye gate. It began with him looking at Sodom. Next thing you know, he's in it, and he lost his whole family. In one way or another. So if, you're, if your eye is dark, all of you is dark. This is the area of your imagination and your vision, your eye, that has got to be purified. It's serious. There's been many people that have been pulled down because of the eye gate spiritually, have been taken out. And so tonight, this just recently, I don't want to get into it, but the visitation I have from the Lord, God did something, He gave me something from Him as an impartation that tonight I know he wants me to release to you. But we're going to pray about this eye gate. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And tonight you're going to receive this by faith. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come in to the imagination and the vision part of you and burn out whatever needs to go. And bring freedom and purity. So I want you to pray this out loud. Jesus, Jesus I, ask I ask forgiveness in my life, in my life. Where, there's been any ungodly, where there's been any ungodly criticism, criticism suspicion, suspicion legalism, legalism, judgmental, judgmental religious, religious, or where there's been, where there's false, been perception, false perception, counterfeit discernment, and vain imaginations. Or where there's been. Any lust. Or sin. That we've allowed in. 
Let your blood wash me clean. I repent. Let your Holy Spirit fill this area. Change me. Burn out what needs to go. And seal me off. Tonight, let your angels dismantle and drive away any structures set up against me. Forgive me for anything in me that's been like the spirit of this region. Religion. Prejudice. Witchcraft. Or anything else. Clean it out of me. Let your fire burn it out. I receive this tonight. When Pastor Scott prays for me. I receive that fire. To go in the eye gate. And cleanse me. I destroy anything. Of the devil. Off my life. In everything of Satan's kingdom. I command it to leave my life. Let's come in through the eye gate. Right now. In Jesus name. Y'all just stand with me. He's here. And feel that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. You guys would just lift your voices with me for a moment. Let's worship. Man, feel that. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way, Lord. Bring freedom tonight. Bring breakthrough tonight. Just worship. Come on. He's here. While y'all are worshiping, just keep worshiping. I'm going to pray. But Lord, I thank you right now for releasing your fire. Lord, I ask you tonight would mark a change. Lord, we take authority and destroy anything that's been there in people's lives. Everyone within the sound of my voice, people associated with this ministry, people are going to be listening or watching this. I speak that the eye gate, any gates of hell that's been opened that's not of God, I command it to be shut and sealed by the blood of Jesus right now. And Lord, I destroy the bondages that has been there because of the eye gate. I break and destroy those bondages. Now command what's of the enemy is going to go in Jesus' name. There's going to be a breakthrough tonight.
ways, bringing change and sanctification. I just feel there's a deep work God's going to do. There's something going to begin tonight that's going to set in motion. Father, I take authority over the things geographically that's tried to influence people. And Father, let that be, I command that to be broken right now and destroyed. Things that go back to geographic spirits that have been manipulating people's lives, I break the power of that in Jesus' name. I destroy it now. And I command what's been there is going to back off and go. In fact, you're going to repair any damage, restore what you've stolen. 